Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 10? We're in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers chapter 10. We talked about it last week. Uh, We're going to say the same passage this week. Last week I joked, take a good long look at the book of Numbers Because if you started a Bible reading plan that begins in Genesis 1 and proceeds through the Pentateuch, you're not going to make it this far. Numbers, the book of Numbers, Leviticus, the back half of Exodus, that's where even the best Bible reading plans go to die. So let's look at Numbers 10. Let's skip ahead to what you won't see. And that's in Numbers chapter 10, beginning in verse 33. I love this passage. I've been captivated by it. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord, three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, we don't even have time in our sermon to mention that David took this exact same prayer from Moses and prayed it in Psalm 68, verse 1. No credit, no footnote. No bibliography. It was as if King David, if he sees a prayer in Scripture, he can grab it and he can claim it for his own and use it and pray it to you. I pray you would give us that same heart and that same spirit as your servant David, that we would see these prayers that are available to us, these liturgies morning and evening, and we would make them our own so that we might abide with you in spirit and in truth. Would you do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we did a little bit of recap to kind of understand where we're at in Numbers 10. We're going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. We're going to return to that next week. So it's a little disorienting to jump into the book of Numbers, and it's helpful to remember, what are we doing here? How did the people of Israel get here? What's happening? Well, we said that Israel was rescued out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They were delivered in the Exodus story. They were brought out from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. And then they came to the foot of Mount Sinai. And that is where famously God gives them the Ten Commandments. He meets with the people of Israel there. You read about that in Exodus chapter 20. And then what we don't often realize or remember is that the people of Israel, they camped out at the base of Mount Sinai for 15 months and 57 chapters of our Bibles. They're there, they don't move from there for the rest of Exodus, all through Leviticus and the first half of Numbers. She's safe there, she's in God's presence at the base of the mountain. Her only enemy is her own heart, which rages against her. But I could see that Israel would want to stay in the relative safety, the womb of the base of Mount Sinai. But she can't because God has a job for the nation of Israel as he has a job for the church. He wants to light her like a lamp and put her in a dark place so that the glory of God will shine. 
And that can't happen in the desert. He moves the people of Israel onward from this moment in Numbers chapter 10, eastward into the desert, ultimately to Palestine, into the great unknown, where there are many, many enemies out to get her, because God has a greater mission and a purpose in store for his people. Well, Moses, as they're about to leave, quickly realizes his inadequacy, and his people's inadequacy to do or be any good apart from God. And one of the very first things that Moses does as a believer and as a leader is to write a liturgy. He sits down and he writes himself a liturgy. Now, we talked about that word liturgy last week. We realized that every single human being has a liturgy. By liturgy, we mean a a schedule, a routine, a rhythm for their life. Whether we're intentional about it or not intentional about it, we don't know what our liturgy is. Whether we're a believer or not a believer, every single one of us has a liturgy. Every single one of us has patterns and rhythms to our life. Every single one of us has our life, our time, our resources bent around someone or something in worship, whether we realize it or not. A liturgy is an intentional pattern that catches our days and helps us worship in the right direction. So Moses says, we're playing for keeps now. This is a big deal. I'm going to write a liturgy. And it's so simple. Look at verse 35. He says, look, every morning before I get up and I go to work, this is what I want to pray. Arise, O Lord. Verse 36, he says, every evening after work, when I'm done my work day, I want to pray, return, O Lord. Morning and evening, sun up and sun down, day in and day out, week after week, month after month, you add up a very simple liturgy like this one and your own of looking to God throughout our days when we wake up and when we go to work and when we return and when we go to sleep and all of a sudden life begins to take on its substance. It takes on its flesh. It takes on its communion and its fellowship and its trust in God. Don't Tell me what's important to you or what you value or what you care about. Let's cut to the chase. Show me your liturgy, what you do when you wake up and how you approach your work day and what happens when you return home from work and what you do before you go to bed. And I'll tell you what you value and what's important to you and what matters most. That's what we talked about last week. We only made the point from this passage that a liturgy exists. That Moses, he's facing conflict and he immediately sets about and and writes a life liturgy for himself. And then this week in the church email, I sent out some possibilities for a Bible reading plan. You can get that on the church email different amounts of time that you may have to invest in a Bible reading plan, but reading our Bibles is just a part of this life liturgy. What do I do bent around the Word, bent around Scripture? What does my daily routine look like to turn me to God? 
That was last week. This week, we're going to talk about two things. I just want two ideas. They're not really two points to the sermon. They're two related ideas. And the first and most critical is that liturgies are limited, but God, of course, is limitless. That's going to become immediately clear to us if it's not already. And secondly, I really want to dig in and study Moses' morning prayer. So the first point is that liturgies are limited, but God is limitless. We know that, but I want to make sure we know that. If Christian liturgy, if if our daily routine of reading our Bibles and praying came with contractual fine print, it would read, liturgies can't save us. Prayer plans can't redeem us. Bible reading plans, they can't deliver us from evil. Liturgies can't even take lemons and turn them into lemonade. Even the most zealous Christian liturgy has absolutely no power in and of itself. I know we know that, but I want to make sure that we know that we know that because it actually becomes very evident in Moses' life if you read on from chapter 10. Chapter 10 tells us the story of Moses writing this enchanting liturgy, morning and evening, that bends his entire workday around God. But then Numbers 11, the very next chapter, tells the story that enchanting liturgy notwithstanding, shortly after all of this, Moses wants to kill himself. You get this awesome liturgy, and then you get a man who wants to take his own life. He prays to God, being absolutely fed up with Israel, in chapter 11, verse 15, if you will treat me like this, God, kill me at once. Just take my life, I'm done with this. The man with the most airtight of liturgies despairs of his own life. Let's recognize that out the forefront because even the best liturgies, the best Bible reading and prayer plans, they can't save us. They can't deliver us. Only the God behind the liturgy can save and redeem and commune. What I love about Moses' prayers is that he names this God by his proper name. If you look at verses 35 and 36, you should have the name LORD in all caps. And maybe you understand now that if it's a capital L and lowercase rest of the word, that means LORD as in analogous to God. But if it's in all capital letters, that is translating the divine name in Scripture, Yahweh. This is the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush before God sent the ten plagues and delivered Israel. Moses asked God, if I go to Israel and say that God is answering your prayers, who should I tell them that you are? What should I say your name is? And God says, Yahweh, I am who I am, the Lord. 
In fact, Jesus took this title upon himself in John 8.58. There was a debate about Jesus with the religious leaders and where he came from and who he was. And he makes a passing reference, Jesus, who was then 30 years old, that he knew Abraham, who came some 1,500, 1,200 years before him. And the religious leaders said, how could you possibly know Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was... I am. The religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and they picked up stones to stone him. This is the God behind the Christian liturgy. He is the self-sufficient, all-powerful, ready-to-save Yahweh in Christ, the great I am. The liturgy itself might be limited, but this God is limitless. We become intentional about our liturgies and our prayer and our study of scripture, not for liturgy's sake, as if that thing held any power in and of itself. We do these things because through them, God says, we have access to himself, the great I am, the God who is absolutely without limits. We do a liturgy, we read our Bibles, We pray because we are greedy for the God behind our liturgy. Let me commune with Yahweh, the great I am. That's a word about our liturgies. Let's really dig in and see what Moses is actually praying. Now that he has a liturgy, now that he has Yahweh's attention, what is he actually going to pray? What is he going to ask for? And of the two prayers, I want to highlight the morning prayer, and I want to dig into this one, which we find in verse 35. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. That's what he prays. I've got... God's attention, this is what I'm going to ask for. And it's kind of amazing to think of all the things that Moses could have prayed and he could have asked for, right? He could ask for anything. He could pray for anything. He could have prayed, God, would you help me just wake up and smell the roses today? I mean, just let me pause. Let me linger. He could have prayed, God, I I pray that you would let me do me today, right? Just... Give me an extra boost of self-confidence in who you've made me. Now those are quaint, peacetime, liturgical prayers. But Moses doesn't have time for those kind of quaint prayers. He's at war. There are enemies who are out to get him. And so instead Moses prays, God, if I have your attention, I beg you, let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. This is not a peacetime liturgy. This is a wartime liturgy. Moses is at war and he prays for the battle in front of him. Christian, if you are headed into 2019 thinking that you are at peace with your heart and the world, then the devil already has you exactly where he wants you. He begs that you would be at peace with yourself and with the world. 
You and I are not going to face the enemies that the Israelites faced, the Amorites or the Amalekites in the ancient Near East, but our enemies are just as real and just as near and just as deadly. When we get back into the book of Ephesians, we're eventually going to land on Ephesians chapter 6. And in that chapter, the Apostle Paul will beg us. He will beg us as a church and as believers to put on spiritual armor, to take up spiritual weapons, because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual principalities and authorities that want to eat us for breakfast. They want to destroy us. Will be, we be ready for the fight? Now think about the most often repeated basic prayer in the Christian life, which is the Lord's Prayer. I pray this every morning when I get in the car. Don't turn on the radio. Pray the Lord's Prayer. But I never thought about this until I read the Lord's Prayer next to Moses' prayer in Numbers chapter 10. The Lord's Prayer is contentious. It's combative. It's, it's a prayer of resistance. It's a prayer for a fight. And I didn't really notice that because I hadn't seen it in light of what Moses is praying. But, but think about the final phrases of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, you could translate that, evil or you could translate that the evil one. In those couple of phrases, I count four enemies who are out to get us. Debts, debtors, temptation, and the tempter himself. We've got debts. These are sins that we've already committed. Things that we've already done to offend a holy God. And we carry the guilt and the shame and the consequences of these sins. And we suffer for them. Number two, we have debtors. This might be a Christian or non-Christian. This might be somebody who does this intentionally or unintentionally. But people around us wound us on a regular basis. Number three, we have temptation. If debts was the sins we already committed, temptation is the sins that we haven't yet committed, and there will be new temptations, new sins that will face us in a new year. And finally, number four, you have the tempter, who is the evil one, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, begging, looking for someone to devour. Those four enemies are ready to face you in 2019. Are you ready to face them? Those four got a good night's sleep last night. Those four woke up early this morning. And they ate a well-balanced breakfast. And they are ready to undo your soul. Are you at peace with them or are you at war? Do you have a peacetime liturgy or do you have a wartime liturgy? Christian, are you ready in 2019 for the fight? Are you ready to do battle with the forces of evil? I pray that you are. In the face of these enemies, Moses gives us a prayer. Maybe we haven't prayed this before. He might be giving us a new prayer that we haven't thought about. He says, Arise, O Lord. I see these enemies in front of me. I know these four are out to get me. Will you 
Arise, O Lord. Now that's a theologically interesting prayer because it's essentially begging that the God of the universe would wake up and pay attention. Like that he would get up and he would notice what's going on. Now we know biblically that God does not sleep and he does not lose his attention on us, right? He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He never once takes his eye off a saint. He never once leaves his church, praise God, up to chance. It is all within his providence. He's awake and he is in attendance with us. And yet, this is still a biblical prayer. God still invites us to ask, God, I beg you to wake up and pay attention because I need help. I'm in trouble and I need you to attend to me. Isn't that an interesting prayer that he gives to us? Because God gave that prayer to the church, you actually find that prayer arise all over the book of Psalms. It's like the psalmists, whoever they are, David or the sons of Korah or whoever they are, once they learn that that's an appropriate thing to say back to God, an omniscient, all-powerful God, I get to invite him to wake up and pay attention. They can't help but pray that prayer and it's almost always on the battlefield in contention with enemies who are facing them. The psalmist, they'll pray, Arise, God, and judge Psalm 9, arise and vindicate, Psalm 35, arise and confront and subdue, Psalm 17, arise and break the teeth of the wicked, Psalm 3. All of these prayers are in our arsenal to pray. All of these prayers are encouraged in the Christian life. These prayers aren't here just to be studied They're here to be swung. Pick them up. They're the sword of the Spirit and swing them at somebody. That's what they're meant to do. God, would you arise and would you break the freaking teeth of the wicked? That's my prayer. Now I got a nine o'clock meeting with somebody. I'm off to work. That's what Moses is praying here. Would you arise? My favorite of the arise prayers is in Psalm 78. Study this later. Psalm 78, verse 65 and 66, which says this. Look at at this metaphor that God gives about himself. The Lord awoke as from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. God says, when you wake me up, it's like waking up a drunk man. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever tried to wake up a a strong man who's asleep from much wine? Like you've got a 250-pound rugby-playing roommate, and he was up late last night, and he was drinking, and it's time for the 8 a.m. class, and he's got no more tardies under his belt, and you drew the short straw, and you've got to wake him up? I don't advise that. That's a bad idea. Let him get the tardy. Let him fail the class. Nobody wants to mess with that guy. God says, yeah, that's what I'm like. You wake me up. You call my attention to an issue. 
You bring my attendance to a saint who is, is in trouble, and I am as the strong man who wakes up from his drink, and he is ready to throw down. That's the kind of God I am. That's the kind of attention I bring to a saint who is in trouble. That's a beautiful prayer to pray. All of that together, learning about our prayers, learning about our liturgies, it it leaves us with some bad news and some good news for 2019. You look ahead, take the bad news, take the good news. The bad news, of course, is that All of us are making plans for 2019. All of us have expectations and hopes for 2019, whether we've articulated them or not, we've written them down, or we wouldn't even tell our closest friend them. All of us have expectations for 2019, and Moses is saying, I want you to add a few. I want you to expect to suffer in 2019. You are going to suffer this year. I want you to expect war in 2019. I want you to expect to be tried and tested. I want you to expect the fact that you and your church are going to do most of its life on the threshold of the gates of hell in 2019. And that's not a pleasant place to be. The bad news is you will suffer. You will fight for your life. You will be at war in 2019. We might as well expect that. Because it's promised to us. But here's the good news, Christian. Here's the great and beautiful gospel news. And that is the Lord behind the liturgy. The God who stands behind even the most feeble effort to bend our lives around him. Behind even the shakiest plan to wake up tomorrow morning and to read my Bible and to pray, even the most feeble attempt to say the Lord's Prayer on the way to work or or to pray with my kids and my spouse or my accountability partner before bed in 2019, even my most humble efforts to make weekly worship here on Sunday morning a priority for my family to come and participate, to get re-engaged with my life group, to find my gift for outreach. All of these things are the things that make up a life liturgy. And no matter how pathetic my attempts are, no matter how many times I start and restart these Bible reading and prayer plans behind the shakiest liturgy and behind the most airtight liturgy stands the Lord. All caps, Yahweh, the Jesus who says before Abraham was, I am. And when the Lord arises, neither debts nor debtors, neither temptations nor the tempter can withstand the Lord in his glory. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, blessed, glorious be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, we plead our debts, as we forgive our debtors and our enemies and those who are out to get us. Would you deliver us from temptation and the evil one? We plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, our benediction is from Psalm 121, which is a beautiful morning and evening liturgy in its own right. Behold the Lord behind the liturgy. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going in and your coming out from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Glory be to the Father.